This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera. A mix of old-school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones, the dice rule. There'll be no re-rolls, no fudging the dice, no metacurrency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny, and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. Following the battle with the blind acolytes and the serpentine champion, Lena comforted the young woman who was to have been sacrificed, and she in turn told the cleric her name was Jenna. Beric had been temporarily blinded when the cult's leader had cursed the warrior with the unholy miracle of darkness, and Valen determined that it was the jeweled eyes of the profane idol of Nedra that granted the blind acolytes, and in turn Beric, the ability to see by means of a mind's eye. Beric wanted to use this to his advantage and press on without the others to the underkeep in the hope that his blindness would protect him from the Serpent Queen's petrifying gaze. However, the companions refused to let Beric face death alone and it was decided that only Valen and Talion would stay behind to keep Jenna safe and also, should the worst happen, carry the news of the companions' fate to Lord Conway. Lena blessed the company and Talion cast the spell Resolve to afford the companions further protection. Those going on then descended down into the lower level of the fortress. Here they found an altar, above which was the gold disc which they sought. But as Keir went to retrieve it, strange whispers could be heard, luring the companions into the next room. Keir, Bjorn and Arn were unable to resist, and to the dismay of the others, they ran into the chamber beyond. With nothing else for it, Beric, Lena and Knut followed after, in the certainty that they were about to face a deadly peril. Chapter 30 Part 1 Day 33 Night Party Status Beric 23 out of 28 hit points Lena, 14 out of 20 hit points. Kia, 10 out of 12 hit points. Knut, 15 out of 20 hit points. Bjorn, 12 out of 12 hit points. Arn, 12 out of 12 hit points. Spells available. There are no spells available. Shadows flickered and danced about the many pillared hall in which Kier, Bjorn and Arn found themselves. Several floor-standing braziers gave some warmth to the chamber, whilst the air was thick with the fragrant scent of incense. Standing dotted about between the pillars, basking in the soft orange glow, were a dozen or so statues of men and women. Like the others before them, each stood frozen in horror and torment. Yet despite the macabre scene and the cold grip of fear, the three men felt strangely compelled to remain in the chamber. 
In the centre of the hall was a stone column, far wider than the other pillars. It was as wide as the height of two men, and five feet or so up from the base was a barred window, revealing a hollow interior, and beyond was another barred window opposite. Kier's eyes were drawn to the strange room within a room, and as he looked through the bars, he thought he saw someone, or something, momentarily pass the window on the far side. The same hushed voice of a woman resonated about the hall, though they understood not the words. But then the voice was answered by hissing noises coming from many places about the room. Who's there? The rogue called out. From the corner of his eye, Kier could see the two Skarnay men hefting their spears, prompting him to draw an arrow and knock it to the string of his bow. Show yourself, he demanded, somewhat impotently, for they were hardly in a position of strength. He muttered a curse under his breath, for at that moment several figures emerged from behind the pillars. They looked the same as the serpentines the companions had fought earlier, except the bodies of these had the curves of women, and instead of armour, they wore shifts of fine linen, held at the waist with belts of bronze. Then, from around the corner of the inner room, the form of something monstrous slithered into view. It had the upper body of a beautiful, bare-breasted woman, her ageless face framed by raven locks which hung in tresses about her shoulders, whilst the lower parts were those of a giant coiling serpent. The three men were mesmerised by the grotesque sight, until Beric's voice cried out from behind. Blindfolds! Dramatis Personae Kier The rich aroma of stew filled Kier's nostrils as he stirred the steaming cauldron with a large wooden spoon. Whilst all about, the chapel's kitchen was filled with the hustle and bustle of many hands at work. He was quite happy with his chore, for there was something relaxing about the rhythmic motion of stirring, and it allowed him to be alone in his thoughts. His stomach rumbled, and he wished he had eaten something before coming. The pottage was simple but honest peasant's fare, yet it would be gratefully received by those who came seeking arms. He was not sure why he continued to come to the Chapel of Solace. Perhaps it was out of some sense of atonement. Ever since his mother had died, Kier felt like he had made one bad choice after another. But what choice had he really had? He had been too old to be taken in by the orphanage, and the streets and alleys of Godsport were a poor home for a child. Yet no craftsman would have apprenticed a penniless gutter snipe. Steal or starve, that was all he could do. And so he stole, again and again, until he picked the pocket of the wrong man. While Silas did put a roof over his head and food in his belly, Kier both feared and hated the man. He thought back to one of the other boys, Sim. He and Kier had been friends. Sim was an orphan too, though he had been on the streets most of his life. He was small for his age, no doubt the result of years of malnutrition, and yet despite the hardship of his life, he was kind, with a keen sense of humour. He was not, though, a very good thief. Every day, Silas would call the youths together. The gang leader would assign jobs and collect the loot from the previous day's endeavours. Anyone who failed to bring back anything was severely punished. Silas would walk along the line with a sack, as each dropped their haul into it, 
Keir knew that Sim had nothing for the sack. His own offering was meagre that day, though he had tried to give it to the other boy, for Sim was regularly beaten for his failures. But he had refused, and now stood next to him, shaking with fear. The floorboards creaked under Silas's slow, deliberate steps. Keir brought forth the handful of coins and dropped them into the sack. But when Sim did not do likewise, Silas stopped and stared at the boy. Sim was white as a sheet. He began to shake his head. Silas dropped the sack, its contents clanging on the floor. He reached out with a thick, dirty hand, grabbing Sim by his ragged clothes and lifting the boy off the floor. So, you got nothing? He demanded rhetorically. Sim was terrified, unable to speak. The boy lost control of his bladder as urine ran down his leg and then onto the floor. Leave him alone! To his own surprise, Keir found himself stepping forward to challenge the gang leader. He was afraid, but he couldn't stand by and say nothing while Sim received yet another beating. The others shuffled uncomfortably behind him. Silas dropped Sim on the floor and turned to face the source of this insolence. He looked at Keir and sneered. So, you think you're a big man? He said menacingly, coming close. Silas was a huge man, and he towered over the adolescent. Keir could smell Silas's rank breath as he stared up at the man's ugly, pockmarked face, trying to appear confident, though in truth he was terrified. You think you're man enough to challenge me, eh? A string of spittle hung over Silas's lower lip and then onto his thick, black beard. Leave him alone, Keir pleaded, his voice now more conciliatory. And I'll bring extra, tomorrow. Silas snorted in derision. Then, without warning, punched the young thief hard in the stomach. Keir instantly fell like all the air had been sucked out from his lungs. He buckled over, dropping to his knees like a sack of turnips, coughing, <laughs> gasping for breath. He heard the floorboards creak again, and the swift movement of feet. Keir looked up, tears running down his cheeks, and snot hanging from his nose, just as Sim plunged a knife into Silas's back. The brute roared in shock and pain, and spinning around, struck the boy across the face with the back of his hand, the knife still sticking out from between his shoulders. Sim was sent flying backwards, sprawling on the floor as he landed. The assembled youths cowered, as Silas reached behind and with a grunt pulled the knife free. He walked over to where Sim was crumpled on the floor, then, groaning as he bent, picked him up by the scruff of his tunic and pulled him round to face Keir. The boy's nose was broken and his mouth was bloody. Keir looked up at Silas's cold, hard eyes, filled as they were with nothing but cruelty and malice. If a look could kill, he had just seen it. And at that moment, he realised that he stared upon the face of evil. Silas's lip curled up in a smile of pure wickedness. This, he said in a low voice, is on you. Before pulling back Sim's head and drawing the knife quickly across the boy's throat. Blood arced across the room. Sim's arms and legs flailed wildly and then went still as his tunic became red. Silas let go, and Sim's lifeless body fell to the floor. He stared at Keir a moment longer. 
Get rid of this filth, he growled, and then, without saying another word, he walked out of the room. Kier? A voice called. It was Agatha. The nun's interruption snapped Kier back into the present. Someone's got their head in the clouds. She smiled kindly. The nun had a plain, unremarkable face, framed by light brown hair tied in braids, which was common among women in the priesthood. Her eyes were green, and she had a smattering of freckles across her nose, which gave her a girlish look. She could have only been ten years older than Kier, yet she had the tendency to mother him. In truth, he liked it. I think it's ready, the nun declared. Go have a rest, she suggested, taking the spoon from his hand. I'll bring you a bowl shortly. Kier wandered outside into the small courtyard garden to the rear of the chapel, and sat on a bench. He closed his eyes, and for a long time just felt the warmth of the sun on his skin, while listening to the sounds of the city beyond the garden's walls. Here you are. He opened his eyes to a smiling Agatha. She handed him a wooden bowl and a spoon, before sitting down next to him. Kier set the bowl aside. She said nothing letting the silence draw between them. She knew Kier well enough to know that the young man would speak when he was ready. Eventually, he did so. Am I an evil person, Agatha? Kier asked. He had always been honest with her about his life. The nun gave him a sympathetic smile. You sometimes do bad things, she said directly. But that does not make you evil. You have had a poor start in life, yet, despite that, I know that in your heart, you are brave, kind, and loyal. She took his hand in her own, and Kier turned to look her in the eye. How do you know that? Simple, she said. Faith. Agatha's expression changed. She had become more serious. For once, before we even met, Naya sent me a dream about a young man of poor circumstance, but kindness of soul, who one day would do great deeds in service of the Nine. And in that dream, the young man's face was yours. Entering combat. So, the party have entered the lair of the Serpent Queen in a degree of disarray. As a player, this is not what I had planned. But as we know, the best laid plans rarely survive contact with the dice. Now this is going to be one hell of a fight, and I'm already regretting sending the party in, in a weakened state, and without Valen and Talion. But the choice was made, and I now have to accept the consequences. Nedra is a custom creature. She is a six hit dice monster with an ascending armor class of 12. She gets a plus six to hit and has a range of different attacks available to her. Firstly, she is armed with a bronze staff, the tip of which is fashioned as a snake's head, giving it the same attack damage as a mace. In addition, Nedra can attempt to petrify a single enemy by holding them in her gaze. If her target is blindfolded, she will first need to remove the covering by making a successful attack roll. Her clawed hand will do 1d4 points of damage in the process, 
and allow her to attempt petrification in the next round. In the basic expert rules, petrification automatically succeeds, with the only chance of avoiding the effect being a save versus paralysis. Personally, I'm not a fan of automatic success when the stakes are so high. It's one of the reasons why I make magic users and clerics roll for casting spells. My house rule is that to petrify a victim, Nedra must make a successful attack roll against the target's base armor class. This represents catching and holding the character's gaze. If this happens, the character may still attempt a save versus paralysis, thus be turned to stone. In addition, a successful save also means the target becomes immune to Nedra's petrification for the rest of the encounter. As mentioned earlier, Nedra is also a powerful sorceress, with the spellcasting ability of a 6th level magic user. The Serpent Queen has already cast Clairvoyance and the first level homebrew spell Lure, and as such she has the following spells still available. At first level, Push. At second level, Nedra has two new homebrew spells, Rack and Serpent Staff. You can find details of these spells at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. Finally, most dangerously, at third level, Nedra has Lightning Bolt. I also need to determine the Serpent Queen's hit points. Rolling 68. 39! Oof! She is tough! You can find a full creature profile for Nedra at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. Not only that, but Nedra is also attended by five Serpentine Handmaidens. These are two hit dice monsters like the other Serpentines, although they are unarmored and carry only daggers. This gives them an ascending armor class of 12. Rolling 2d8 for hit points. 9. Whilst the basic expert rules state that blind characters cannot attack, I'm going to rule that they can, albeit with a minus 4 penalty to hit, which will be netted off against other penalties and bonuses. Now, Talion's spell Resolve affords the characters a plus 1 to any saving throw, but with its duration being just one turn, I'm going to say that there is a 4 in 6 chance that the spell has already expired. A 5. Okay, so I'm going to say that the spell will expire in 1d6 rounds. A 6? Well, the party are going to need all the luck they can get. And finally, given that spells have the potential to be disrupted, I will declare spell intentions at the start of each round. Okay then, let's have at it. Round 1. I'm going to rule that the first round only involves Kier, Bjorn and Arn. Nedra and the Serpentines are not surprised, but let's see if the characters are. A roll of 1 or 2 on a d6 means they will be. A 1! No initiative, as the three men are surprised. And given this, I am going to rule that they do not act quickly enough to get their blindfolds on. As such, Nedra will attempt to petrify one of them. I am going to roll a d6 to determine the target. On a 1 or 2, it will be Kier. On a roll of 3 to 4, it will be Bjorn. And a 5 or 6, Arn will be the target. A 5, it's Arn. With her attack bonus against Arn's base armor class, Nedra will need to roll just a 4 or more. A 9. Arn will now need to roll a 13 or more for his saving throw. A 16! The Skarnay's eyes meet those of the Serpent Queen, which burn with a green fire. He feels her hatred and loathing burn at his very soul. Panic rises within him as he feels his muscles begin to stiffen in response, until the memory of Talion's song floods suddenly into his mind. A sense of calm, determination and resolve washes through his body, and he realises the malevolence of Nedra's gaze no longer holds any power over him. 
the five serpentine handmaidens rush forward, blocking the path to Nedra and attacking the three men. The first will attack. Bjorn, it will need a 13 or more to hit. A 17 for... One point of damage, as the creature's dagger scratches Bjorn's forearm. The second serpentine will attack. It's Bjorn again. But with a three, the Skarne warrior easily pushes the blade aside. The third serpentine will attack. Arn. It will also need a 13 or more. A seven means the creature cannot find an opening. The fourth serpentine will attack. Kia. Against the rogue, the serpentine will need to roll an 11 or more. A three. Kia steps back to avoid the dagger. The fifth serpentine will attack. It's Kier again. But a five means the creature slashes a tear. Round two. Initiative. The enemy. A six. The party. A one. As the enemy has won the initiative, I'm going to rule that their attacks will still focus on Kier, Bjorn and Arn. Spell intentions. None. Having failed to petrify Arn, Nedra turns her attention towards the other two men. She will target... It's Bjorn. As before, the Serpentine Queen will need to roll a four or more to lock gaze. A 20. Bjorn's only hope is to make a save versus paralysis. He will need to roll a 13 or more. Here is the roll. An 8. Nedra locks eyes with the warrior and pours a thousand years of malice into Bjorn's soul. He feels his whole body being weighed down and crushed by it. First his feet, and then his legs, as the sensation works its way up his body. The pain is overwhelming. He opens his mouth to scream, but no sound escapes, as his body hardens to stone. Knut cries out, No! But it's too late, and the enemy presses the advantage. The Serpentine Handmaidens do not relent. The two that were attacking Bjorn switch their focus to Arn, the first stabs forward with its curved dagger. An 18 is a hit for... Three points of damage. Stabbing Arn's thigh as he is caught off guard, whilst in shock at Bjorn's fate. The second serpentine slashes with its blade. A 15 is also a hit for... One point of damage. Arn is in real trouble as the third serpentine presses its attack. But with a 6, Arn finally recovers his wits and dodges the stab. The fourth serpentine is attacking Kia. It needs an 11 or more. A 16 for three points of damage as the creature stabs Kia in the shoulder. The fifth serpentine will also attack Kia. A 19 is a hit for one point of damage, cutting the rogue's forearm. Now for the party's actions, and they need to get this fight under control. Kia steps back from the two serpentines pulling his blindfold down also, before shooting an arrow at close range. A 17 is a hit for... Three points of damage, as his arrow thumps into the shoulder of one of the Serpentines. Beric runs forward to attack one of the Serpentines on Kia. With his bonuses, he needs a 7 or more. An 11 hits for... Five points of damage. The warrior's blade slashes the Serpentine across the midriff, tearing its dress and splattering blood over a nearby pillar. Lena also moves to support Kia, pulling her blindfold down over her eyes as she does so. Penalties and bonuses taken into account, the cleric needs to roll a 14 or more to hit. 
too. Lena is initially disorientated with the blindfold. Knut likewise pulls his blindfold down before charging to support Arn. A 16 is a hit for... 5 points of damage as his blade slashes the creature across the chest, blood misting in the air. Arn strikes back at one of the Serpentines attacking him. A 12 hits for... 3 points of damage as he skewers the creature's thigh. Round 3. Initiative. The enemy. A 1. The party. A 4. Spell intentions. Nedra intends to cast Rack against Beric. Let's hope the party can make the most of their advantage. Kia knocks another arrow. He needs a 13 or more. But with an 11, he can't risk a blind shot with Lena in the way. Beric swings his sword at his enemy. A 10 is a hit for... Four points of damage. The warrior's blade bites deep into the serpentine's shoulder. Gouts of blood erupt from the wound and the creature falls. Buoyed by hearing Beric slay one of the creatures, Lena presses the attack. A 14 is just enough, causing... Five points of damage. The cleric brings her warhammer around in a sweeping arc, smashing into the creature's side. There is a cracking sound as several of its ribs are broken. Knut strikes out with his blade, needing a 13 or more. A 4. The Serpentine sidesteps the blow. Arn is still fighting two enemies, but now immune to Nedra's gaze. He can attack without penalty, needing a 12 or more. A 12. 4. 6 points of damage. The Skarne warrior faints, drawing one of the creatures before thrusting forward and taking it in the throat. The spearhead drives deep into the Serpentine's neck, severing its spinal cord, killing it instantly. The party are gaining control, but now the enemy retaliates. Nedra will attempt to cast the spell Rack on Beric. This is a homebrew second level spell, in which the caster bends their will to cause the target to be racked with pain throughout their entire body, suffering 1d4 points of damage for each round the caster concentrates on the target, up to a maximum number of rounds equal to the caster's level. The target may neither move nor take any action whilst under its effect, though a save versus spell may be attempted in the first round to resist. If successful, the spell ends. The caster may also choose to end the spell at any time, and equally, the spell ends if the caster's concentration is interrupted, for example should they suffer any damage. Nedra will need to roll a 15 or less for her casting roll. A 1! That's an overcharge! As a reminder, in Legend of the Bones, a casting roll of 20 is a miscast, and a casting roll of 1 is an overcharge. Both can be dangerous, but an overcharge may also result in an additional effect. Rolling a d6 against my custom overcharge table. A 6? That's lucky for Beric. This result means that the caster suffers 1d4 points of damage per spell level, as the spell overcharges, sending uncontrolled raw magic through the caster's body, plus there will be an additional roll on the overcharge table. First, let's see how much damage Nedra takes. Rolling 2d4. 8 points. Now for another roll on the overcharge table. A 5. That result means that the spell does not leave the caster's memory, and it remains available to be cast once more. A mixed bag for Nedra, but back to Beric, because the warrior needs to make a save versus spell or be overcome with pain. He needs to roll a 15 or more. A 6. The Serpent Queen holds out her clawed hand towards Beric, reciting the incantation. Yeah, Suddenly, Beric feels like his insides are being torn apart. 
he drops to the floor, writhing in agony. Beric initially takes three points of damage. The Serpentine Handmaidens continue their assault on the party. The enemy attacking Knut lunges forward. It needs a 15 or more to hit the Skane. A 17 for four points of damage. The Serpentine gets inside Knut's defenses and stabs the warrior in the abdomen, <coughs> splitting the rings of his male hauberk in the process. The remaining Serpentine facing Arn strikes forward, needing a 15 or more. A 1! The creature slips on the blood of its fallen comrade and falls to the ground. It will lose its next turn. The final Serpentine is attacking Lena. It also needs a 15 or more to hit the cleric. But with a 3, Lena easily pushes the creature away with her shield. Round 4. Initiative. The enemy. A 6. The party. A three. This fight hangs in a balance. Spell intentions. Nedra will maintain the spell Rack on Beric. Beric remains immobilized as he writhes in agony on the floor, suffering another four points of damage. The Serpentine, facing Knut's, slashes with its dagger. A 19 is a hit for one point of damage. Knut attempts to dodge, but the blade catches him on the brow above his right eye. The Serpentine, engaged with Arn, fumbled last round, and so misses its action. The final Serpentine lashes out at Lena. It needs a 16 or more to hit the Cleric. An 18 for... Two points of damage. The Serpentine goes low, stabbing its dagger into the Cleric's thigh. Now the party's actions. Beric cannot act, as he is under the effect of Nedra's Rack spell. Lena pushes the Serpentine away, and then swings with her Warhammer. A 14 is a hit for three points of damage. That's enough. The cleric's blow smashes into the creature's head. There is a sickening crunch as its skull caves in under the impact, and it falls. Lena turns to help Beric. Hearing Lena slay her adversary, Kier disengages and begins to move around the central circular room in an attempt to get behind Nato. Having been cut by his enemy, Knut counters. A 15 is a hit for three points of damage, as he brings the sword down on the creature's extended arm, opening a vicious cut. Arn takes advantage of his enemy being on the ground. Now 20! The Skarni will do maximum damage, plus an additional die. That will be... 12 points in total. Arn spins the spear in his hand, and then stabs down, impaling the creature through the stomach, as ribbons of blood splatter from the wound. Round 5. Initiative. The enemy, a four. The party, a three. Seeing Lena kill her enemy and look towards her, Nedra ceases her spell on Beric and attempts to cast Lightning Bolt at the Cleric. Nedra will need to roll a 15 or less for her casting roll. An eight. Lightning shoots from the Serpent Queen's outstretched fingers, hitting Lena in the chest. The Cleric screams in pain. This is bad, due to Nedra's casting level. Lena will take 66 points of damage, but this can be halved if the cleric passes a save versus spell. Let's find out how bad this is. Rolling 66. 24 points of damage. Lena must make her saving throw, else she will die. But even if she does, Lena only has 12 hit points remaining, meaning that she would be on zero hit points and unconscious. 
Lena needs a miracle. Will it come? With Talion's spell and the power of her holy symbol, the cleric needs to roll an 11 or more. Here is the roll. A 16. Lena drops to the floor. The pain is overwhelming. She has never felt such agony. But somehow, she manages to grip hold of her holy symbol, and her lips barely move as she mutters a prayer before everything fades to black. Meanwhile, the only remaining serpentine lashes out again at Knut. A 15 is a hit for... Six points of damage. The creature gets in close once more, plunging its dagger into the Scarlet's shoulder. Knut is badly wounded and near death himself. Now it's the party's turn, but things are not looking good. Beric is free of Nadal's spell, but I am going to rule that he will miss his action as he picks himself up from the floor. Kier is still moving around the circular room, but the rogue has removed his blindfold and drawn his sword. Knut will try to counter against the Serpentine Handmaiden, but with a four all he can do is weakly push her away. Arn, seeing his lord in trouble, attempts to strike the Serpentine with his spear. But with the 10, the creature dodges his thrust. Time to recap on remaining hit points. Nedra stands at 32 hit points. The Serpentine Handmaiden has just one hit point. Beric has 16 hit points. Lena is unconscious, with zero hit points remaining. Kier has two hit points. Knut has three hit points. Arn has eight hit points. Bjorn is dead, having been petrified. Things are looking pretty stark for the party. I'm not sure they're going to get out of this alive. But right now, they have to fight on, else leave Leila to die. Round six. Initiative. The enemy. A three. The party. A four. Spell intentions. None. Filled with rage at seeing Lena fall, Beric grabs his sword and charges at the Serpent Queen. A fifteen is a hit for... Three points of damage as his blade slices across her waist where human meets snake. Knut attacks the Serpentine Handmaiden. A 17 is hit for... Six points of damage. The Skarnay hacks down with his sword. The blade completely severs the creature's right arm at the shoulder. Blood sprays wildly from the stump and it falls. Arn rushes to support Beric against Nedra. But with an eight, the Serpent Queen knocks the spear aside with her staff. Finally, Kira's come around behind Nedra, whilst the Serpent Queen has been distracted by the others. The rogue has removed his blindfold. This is a risk, but he has done so because he needs to make this count. So with Lena's blessing still in effect, and the backstab bonus affording to rogues, Kira will get a plus five to hit, meaning that he needs to roll a seven or more. Come on, Kira. That twenty! Wow, I cannot believe that's just happened. So wait, that means Kier will do maximum damage, plus another die, and that will also be doubled for the backstab. Let's work that out. Okay, eight plus four times two will be 24 points of damage. Kier runs forward and plunges his sword into the Serpent Queen's back. The blade passes clean through, erupting from her chest with a volcano of blood, bone, and bits of her internal organs. She cries out in a strange, guttural voice, but despite the grievous wound, the Serpent Queen does not fall. Nedra is down to just five hit points. The party have had a miracle, and they might just get out of this alive. But wait, there's only one logical response that Nedra would make. The Serpent Queen spins around, 
ripping the sword from Kier's hand, still embedded as it is in her body. She sees this puny mortal with no blindfold and her eyes flare. Nedra will attempt to petrify Kier. To lock gaze, she will need to roll just a five or more. It's a 14. Oh no. Kier's only hope is to pass a save versus paralysis, in which he needs to roll a 12 or more. Our rogue needs another miracle. Here is the roll. I rolled a six. As Nedra spins around, ripping the sword from Kier's hand, he is thrown off balance and falls to the ground. As he turns to pick himself up, his eyes meet those of the Serpent Queen. All her hatred, cruelty and malice penetrates his mind, body and soul. He is overwhelmed and consumed with agony. And for an instant, he is transported back to the image of Silas. His legs become heavy and rooted to the ground. His muscles tighten and his skin turns grey. His last thoughts turn to that kindly nun, whom he loved more than anyone and who loved him. He opens his mouth one final time. Agatha! Beric cries out. Care! No! But there is no time to mourn, for Nedra still lives, as she may yet claim more souls. Round seven. The party really need to win the initiative. Nedra. A one. The party. A six. Spell intentions. None. Beric, tears running down his cheeks, is consumed with hatred. He throws himself towards Nedra in furious rage. The warrior needs a seven or more. An eleven for seven points of damage. Beric hacks with his sword at the Serpent Queen's back. The blade fights deep, tearing apart her flesh and severing her spine. Nedra's body sways momentarily before falling to the ground. The battle is won, but at what cost? Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. As this was a slightly longer episode, I'll keep things brief. Once again, I need to shout out to my fantastic cast of voices. Newcomer to the show, voicing Sister Agatha, is Maddie Searle. Maddie is a writer, streamer, and podcaster. You can find Maddie on X at Maddie underscore abstract. Maddie also has a podcast called A Game of One's Own, in which she plays a variety of solo and co-op games with narrative. I definitely recommend checking it out. Also returning in the role of Knut is John Cohen, creator of Tale of the Manticore. Thank you both. As ever, I'm very grateful. I'll put their various links in the show notes. You can also help by liking or reposting new episode announcements, or by recommending the show online or to a friend. You really can't beat the power of word of mouth. Alternatively, if you'd like to show your appreciation by buying me a metaphorical cup of tea, then I now have a Kofi page at ko-fi.com forward slash legend of the bones. Any donations will go towards the show's running costs. If you'd like to get in touch, then you can contact me on X at Legend Bones, Mastodon at Legend Bones at ttrpg-hangout.social, Instagram at Legend of the Bones, email at legendofthebones at gmail.com, or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, house rules, character profiles, art, maps, and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the Bones decide their fate.
none shall escape the destiny of bone. We're going to give it another go. It's a bit more, a bit, a bit more zing, oh, a bit of zing, a bit zing. Of zing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ready? Hello, hello. hello. With a hello. No, no, no. Hello. No, hello. No, wait, wait till I get through the whole thing. Ready? Wait till. I... Hello, with a billowing hilltop. Hello. Hello. Oh dear. <laughs> Waiting to get through the whole thing. No, no. I mean, I, I thought that was the, the whole thing. The whole thing is hello <laughs> with a billowing hilltop. Okay, <laughs> that's the whole thing. Yeah? Okay. Okay. That was right. <laughs> Uh, that pretty much sums up the show. But if you want to find out any more, you can visit us at www.belowinghilltop.com. Is it com? Does anybody know? <laughs> .org. Is it? It's .com. What do we do? What do we, what do we play? There's monsters. Um, does anybody remember? Walking around. And, yeah. And we will be delighted if you to join us around our table as we play Dungeon. Is it 5th edition? Hello? Yeah, we think so. Yeah. Yes. Yes. What we played Dungeons and Dragons. Sorry, that was me. What was that noise in the background? There will be noises in the background as we play Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition through the classic Paizo adventure path, The Age of Worms. You can expect this. No! Oh! A bit of this. Um, I'm completely lost. This. Blech. This. I've got a bugbear in my underpants. And one of these. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> we're on Apple Podcasts and we're on Spotify and we're on TuneIn and you can find us on Twitter and you can find us on Facebook. Uh, and we uh, hope you join us. Thanks very much. Thank you.